We're going to look at the Ten Commandments this morning, so you could turn to Exodus chapter 19 if you have your Bibles uh, with you. How many of you? Uh, how many of you grew up in the South? I know we live in the South. I know a lot have moved here. So how many of you, uh, either you or your your parents or your grandparents, had? Uh, the Ten Commandments in their yard in some form or fashion at some point. Any, anybody? I, I've seen a lot more signs out there. There's got to be more than just, just one here this morning. How many of you seen that? Ten Commandments on a plaque in somebody's yard, uh, maybe in a business, on a wall in the business. Um, it's not something I was familiar with growing up in Canada. Obviously, I knew the Ten Commandments. I grew up in church, uh, but I didn't see them everywhere. And I remember, especially 25 years ago, first when I first visited Georgia, I was like, wow, there's Ten Commandments everywhere. Uh, so I'm surprised I'm not seeing more hands, but maybe you have that uh, memory, it just wasn't our families that were doing that. We talked about the Passover uh, last week, of course, we, we took a week off from the series, but our, in our stop and go through the Old Testament, we were looking at the Passover two weeks ago, um, and this coincided with the 10th the plague on the nation of Egypt, the death of the firstborn son, and of course, uh, those who, who sacrificed a lamb and, and, uh, and, and ate it as uh, described by God and put the blood on the doorpost, when the, when the angel of the Lord saw the blood on the doorpost, the, first, the firstborn of that home was spared. If the blood was not there, uh, then, the, then the, the firstborn died in each of the homes that did not have uh, the blood on the doorpost. So we're, we're fast forwarding. You think, well, surely he's going to talk about the Red Sea next. Well, it, we're, we're really looking at Christ in the Old Testament and, and how does the Old Testament pass us, uh, point us towards Christ. So uh, we're, not hitting, we're not hitting every um, account in the Old Testament. We're going to jump forward probably about two months uh, to when the people of Israel have arrived at Mount Sinai. And uh, between the Passover and their arrival at Mount Sinai, God has uh, continued to, to show himself to his people. He has shown um, that he will guide his people, that uh, he has shown his power and his might to his people. He has shown his provision uh, for his people, his protection uh, for his people. So let's just do a quick summary. Um, to How did the people of Israel uh, leave Egypt and arrive at Mount Sinai? Well, uh, first of all, God provided a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, the cloud to guide them by the day and the, and the fire to guide them by the night. So they, they weren't wandering around aimlessly. God was guiding his people. Uh, and then we see that they arrived at the Red Sea as they left Egypt, and the Egyptian army was pursuing them. So they have the Red Sea in front of them, and they have the Egyptian army behind them, and their destruction seemed sure, and maybe their recapture and going back to slavery. Uh, and so God displayed his power and his might in splitting the Red Sea for them to walk through on dry ground, and then his protection for them as the sea collapsed on the pursuing Egyptian army. Uh, if, we, if you're reading through, you, you, you probably recollect the various ways that God provided fresh water for them to drink and manna from heaven for them to eat. Uh, you remember the story of uh, them facing the Amalekite army when, when uh, uh, Aaron and, and Ur had to hold Moses' arms up. He was holding the staff of the Lord, and when he, they held his arms up, the, the strength of the Lord was with them, and they... Uh, won that battle. So this would have been like an amazing couple of months. If you were an Israelite, like this would have been an amazing couple of months to, uh, to be alive and to witness God's 
uh, protection, his guidance, his power, and his might, and his provision, uh, not just for you and your family, but for you know, the maybe two million people uh, that had left Egypt. So um, in chapter 19 um, of Exodus, we get to this place where the people of Israel have arrived at the, the base of Mount Sinai, and this is where they set up camp here for almost a year, maybe 10 or 11 months they spend at the base of Mount Sinai, and this is where the, they get the Ten Commandments. So we're going to start in chapter 19. Of course, the Ten Commandments come in chapter 20. But if you would, read with me Exodus chapter 19, starting verse 1. Uh, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim on, excuse me, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, This you will say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the people of Israel. So this is God speaking to Moses. So verse seven, we see Moses came uh, and he called the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord, excuse me, that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So you're kind of thinking, why are we reading this passage? Well, I think it really sets the, sets the stage for what's, um, for what's about to happen. Moses is... Um, sort of the liaison, he's the leader of the people, but he, he goes between the people and God, and between God and the people. And this, this is uh, further established in this, in this passage. But we also see why God is about to give these instructions to the people um, in this passage. In, in these first couple of verses, he's, he's differentiating again between the people of Israel and the, and the people of, of Egypt. And we get to this verse, uh, this statement that God says in verse four. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In, in, this, in this passage, or in this, in this verse, God is clearly stating, I did something to the Egyptians. I brought you out from slavery. I delivered you from the bondage that you were in. And it, it, it was me that, has, that brought you to this point. In other words, it wasn't your clever, it wasn't your cunning, it wasn't your strength, it wasn't your uh, wilderness uh, survival skills that brought you to this point. I delivered you, I guided you, I provided for you, I protected you. I brought you here on the wings of eagles. I wonder how often we stop to reflect on how God has brought us to this point. Like to this very day, you're sitting here at House Prayer Church in Blairsville, Georgia. How in the world did you end up here? 
Like some of you maybe were just born a few miles from here. It just makes sense. This is where you grew up. This is where you stayed. It's where you worked. You had your family. And here you are. But how, how has God brought you to this point in your life? How has God brought you um, to this point in your understanding of him and your relationship with him? Do we, do we thank God for where we are today? Do we give credit to God for where we are today? Do we recognize his involvement in our lives? Like, do we stop to think about those things? Do we... Um, well, what if we're not really where we want to be? You think, well, I hope God didn't bring me here because I'm in a miserable place right now. Maybe not here this morning, but in life. Miserable, I hope you're not miserable this morning. But, but man, life's just not treating me right now the way I thought it was going to treat me. Do we believe that he can take us to where we need to go? Amen. Do we believe that his guidance and his strength, that his protection, that his provision for us is enough. God said to the people of Israel, I have brought you to this place. I have done something for you. And this is what he says in verse five. Now, therefore, because I have done this for you, I have shown that I am sufficient. I have shown that I am capable. I'm shown that I am the supreme Lord and God of the universe. I've shown you this. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the, this is the foundation for the Ten Commandments. They're the people of Israel about to come into uh, a covenant that we call it the Mosaic Covenant with God, and, and this is what God's laying out for them. You obey my voice and my commandments. I'll make you a treasured people. I'll make you a kingdom of priests. I'll make you... The, the, the nation that all other nations look to for wisdom, for, for guidance, for strength, because they are following the Lord and they're being a light to the others. So this, this, is, this is the offer uh, that God is giving to uh, the people of Israel. I think that's God's offer and his desire for us, isn't it? That we'd be a light. He's, he's inviting us to be his treasured possession, a holy people, that we would uh, declare his praises and his glories, it tells us in First in Peter. It's what he, he's calling for us to do. And so this is verse eight. What a great, great, great response. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You ever said something like that before? No, I hope some of you have. <laughs> Have we said that and then had a hard time following through? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Wednesday night we were uh, in, in prayer meeting. Um, Mike Holman uh, made this comment, too often in life we say, yes, Lord, but. Right, we need to get rid of that but uh, word in our vocabulary. It should just be yes, Lord, not yes, Lord, but. Well, today was a busy day. Well, the kids, you know, they've got, uh, they've got these things that they're interested in. Well, I've got a lot going on at work right now. Uh, well, we're just dealing with some things. So, you know, we'll, we're going to get to that instead of just a plain old, yes, Lord. Whatever you say, Lord, we will do. All right, so in the rest of this chapter, 
the, the, the people of Israel are to prep, uh, prepare uh, for the giving of the Ten Commandments. There's, there's uh, smoke and there's fire and there's thunder and there's lightning uh, on the mountain itself. And the people of Israel, uh, Moses gives them the instruction, look, you're going to have to stay here. I'm going up. And they're like, that's fine with us. You know, you go up there. We don't want to be near on the mountain. You, you know, you, you tell us what God says and we're going to do it. This is the this is uh, the arrangement that they, uh, that they agree to. And so when we get to chapter 20, um, we get the 10 commandments here in the first verses of chapter 20. And then basically, if you're reading through your Bible, the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, the book of Numbers, probably up until chapter 10 or so, is really the giving of the Mosaic law, uh, more or less. There's a few other things in there, but that's this, when you say, well, where's, what's, what's the Mosaic law? Well, it comes from Exodus 20 to Numbers 10, that, that, that section of Scripture. We're, we're just going to look at the Ten Commandments this morning. Uh, let me read them to you. Chapter 20, God has said, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, I'll make you a treasure people. And the people say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, we will do. So this is what the Lord said. Exodus 20, verse 1, the Lord spoke all these things saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the thunder and the the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The Ten Commandments, were you taught these as a kid? Memorize them? Still recite them? Okay, first four, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep this Sabbath day holy. It's been said many times before that these first four commandments were given uh, helping to explain and to define and to uh, give structure to our relationship between us and God. These, these are commandments on, on how we view God, how we um, are to honor God and to respect him and to fear him and put him first uh, above anything else. Uh, and then the, the, the last six, honor your father and mother, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. Uh, these, are, these, these final six are instructions and commands that help us define and shape our relationships with our fellow uh, mankind. Some are within the family, some are within uh, our neighbors, which are just people we interact with in general. It's about how we uh, think about people, how we should view people. Uh, it affirms the, the value of life. So we have the, the, the commandments that uh, shape our view of God and how we interact with him, and then the commandments that shape our view of people and how we uh, interact with people. So, uh, of course, we're not reading the whole Mosaic Law this morning. Uh, praise the Lord. We don't have time for that. We'd be here all day. Um, but as we, as if you were to read them and then continue to read through the Old Testament, uh, you, would, you would discover as you read that the, the people, even though they had this uh, great initial enthusiasm, whatever the Lord says we will do, they had no ability to actually follow through with that. Uh, they, they fell sh- short repeatedly over and over. And, and I hope that you recognize in your own life, personally, you have no ability either to uh, keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. Um, and, and so, um, if God had this desire to make a treasured people, uh, and he said, keep these commandments and obey them, and I'll do this for you, and it didn't really work out, then, like, God had to know it wasn't going to work out. What's, why, why are we, why, we why, why even do it in the first place? Well, I want to I want to look in in the New Testament at a maybe three places uh, that helps us understand the purpose of the Ten Commandments because they do have uh, value. One one of the first place is in Matthew chapter twenty two, um, and it, this is uh, a Pharisee was with Jesus and they were trying to test him, trying to trip him up. And Matthew 22, verse 35, uh, one of them, one of the Pharisees, he was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now I'm thinking it's going to be probably going to be one of the big ten, right? You got the ten commandments and then you have, I don't know, 40 or 50 more chapters of, of commands. It's probably one of these first ten So he says, what's the greatest commandment in law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where does that come from? It's not one of the 10 commandments. Now, if you, if you read, you'll see this first commandment to love the Lord your God in Deuteronomy and you'll see this second commandment to love your neighbor um, I believe it's in Leviticus. 
Uh, so they are in the commandments. How, does, how do these two, how do these two become the greatest commandments? And in verse 40, he actually says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of the uh, law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the writing of the prophets depend on these two commands. So this is what Jesus is saying. Loving God and loving others is what it's all about. You can summarize it all by loving God and loving others. Last week, we asked the, uh, one of the questions I asked is, where do we get meaning in life from? Um, and so uh, we were talking about, is there, is there really a God who created the world and made us in his image and gave us a purpose in life? Or we're not sure where we came from, we're not sure where we're going, and so we just determine meaning for our life the best that we can. Like, which one is it really? Well, if you believe the Bible and you believe that uh, in Jesus Christ for your salvation, here's some meaning for your life. Love God and love others. Could it be, could it be that simple? The Ten Commandments are boundaries and guidelines for how, do, how we do that. How do we love God? Well, we put him first. We don't worship other things. We don't take his name in vain. Uh, we, take, we set aside time uh, to rest and reflect and to worship him. How do we love others? Well, we honor our parents. We honor the marriage relationship. We don't covet. We don't uh, commit, uh, commit adultery as the marriage relationship. We don't, help me out now, steal and murder. Is that, is that all 10? I think it is, it's a terrible order. The boundaries and guidelines, how do we love others? We find them in the Ten Commandments. Another passage in the New Testament to mention, uh, and it's not specifically talking about the Ten Commandments at all, uh, but really it's a, there's a pattern that, is, that we see with the Ten Commandments and then is repeated in the, in the New Testament. So in Exodus, we see people of Israel being delivered from bondage. We see the people of Israel saying to God, uh, you are our God, you are the one that saved us, you are the one that rescued us, and God says to them in giving the law, basically, since I have saved you, since I have rescued you, here's how you can live uh, in a way that is upright before me and that honors me and uh, gives glory to my name. And so then in the New Testament, when we read the book of Romans, uh, really it's a, it, it's a book that, repeats that same pattern. In the first uh, 11 chapters, we, we, we discover how is, how is an unrighteous, sinful man made righteous or justified before a holy and just God. And so uh, we see that, that man is sinful, uh, we understand God's righteousness, we, we learn about the provision of Jesus. And then chapter 12 starts this way, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, or, or other translations say, on account of the mercies uh, of God's mercy, or in view of God's mercy, or because of all God has done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in other words, in the same way that God delivered the people of Israel from their slavery and their bondage and then brought them to Mount Sinai, Sinai and said, now how, here's how you live uprightly before me. 
The book of Romans describes our sinfulness, God's righteousness, Jesus, uh, the provision of Jesus for salvation, and, and in Romans chapter 12, it goes into upright living before God. And so, um, the, the pattern is the same. Salvation comes first, and then good works come second. We, we don't uh, we don't behave, we don't follow the Ten Commandments to earn, uh, to appease God or to earn salvation or work our way into heaven, but instead God saves us and so we say to God, because of what you have done in my life, I want to serve you and so we open his word and we study it to find out how we can best do that. We offer ourselves completely to be available for worship, uh, for service, for being conformed to the image of Christ. Galatians chapter three, just in case, just in case you see the 10 commandments or you read the 10 commandments or you teach the 10 commandments to your kids and you say, look, these are the important things, just in case that uh, there's some might think that God could be appeased, God could be satisfied if we just do enough right things. Galatians chapter three, uh, verse 10, it starts this way, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law, ten commandments, starting with the Ten Commandments, following through, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be any, everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now the people of Israel said, tell us what to do and we'll do it. And then we read through the Old Testament and find out they couldn't do it. We look at our own lives today and we, and we understand we can't do it. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. We agree with that? Amen. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Now listen to this. So if it's not by uh, following the Ten Commandments and, and getting things right and doing good things, then what is it? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So this, the, the law, the Ten Commandments, further revealed man's sinfulness. And we've been, as we've been going through, this is a common thing, man is sinful. God has to step in. And so the, the law further reveals uh, man's sinfulness and Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, who, who owed no penalty for sin because he was perfect and yet he was the one who died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. So, so why even have the law in the first place if it wasn't, if, if by obeying the law, uh, you couldn't do it? Like it just wasn't an attainable uh, set of rules to follow, so why even put them there in the first place? Hebrews chapter 10, you can turn there with me, we're going to read a few verses there. This is, and we're going to talk a little bit, we're going to get to the sacrificial system in the Old Testament as we are stopping and going. Uh, so this is almost like reading the beginning of, uh, reading the first chapter in a book and thinking, man, I wonder how this turns out. And so you turn to the last chapter to kind of get 
uh, and you miss some in the middle, so we're going to go back to the middle, but this is jumping to the end because this is important. But Hebrews 10 verse 1 says this, for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, and that's following the law, you would offer sacrifices, uh, but it could never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If, if the law was sufficient, and we'll see about the sacrificial system, if the sacrifices were sufficient, then why do they have to keep doing them? That's what this passage is saying. They wouldn't have, they would have stopped being offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But, these, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, I know many of you are familiar with the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, which is why we're just jumping to the end. If you're like, where did the bulls and the goats come from? We're going to go back to the Old Testament and learn about this in, in weeks to come. Um, but, but to me, this is just really fascinating. The law was real. Like they, the, the Ten Commandments were, were written down on like tablets of stone, like you could hold them. Uh, they, they, were, they were written down. They were... Um, they were copied, they were, they were cared for, they were taught to the people, they were real tangible things, and then the rite of Hebrews says this, the law is but a shadow. The, the law wasn't real. The, the law was a shadow. The reality is that the, the death of Jesus is sufficient for our sins, so this physical tablet of stone isn't reality. This, this, it's a, it, the physical is a picture of the spiritual reality. So the, the law was put in place so we would have something physical, something tangible, something that we could look at, something that we could read and we could understand that would point us to this spiritual reality of what Christ did for us. So we'll get to the sacrificial system, but keep reading with me in verse uh, five. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, you have not, neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. What was the first? It was the law. What's the second? It's Jesus Christ in person on earth. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest, and this is going back to the sacrificial system, back to the law, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over again, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
The law was given to the people of Israel and, and, and it, was, it was for them specifically, but it's also for us to see and to understand what it looks like to live according to God's plan and according to God's purpose. Now, we, we don't follow the, the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament because it was good and it served a purpose, but the purpose was simply to point people to Jesus. Jesus came and changed everything. The law and its system uh, dealt with t- uh, sin on a temporary basis. And here in Hebrews it says, when Jesus died on the cross, he was a single sacrifice for all time. And when he, when he offered himself and died for our sins and then he rose from the grave, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why did he take a seat? Because it was done. The work, the work is done. I, I think a lot of people, probably most of us in here, there's, there's part of us that just wants to do what's right. Is there a part of you that's like that? Part of you that's not? <laughs> but there's, in most people, there's part of you that just, you want to, you, tell me what you want and I'll do it. Is there part of you that just, that's, that's, I mean, there's certainly, there's part of me that's like that. I'll do my best to meet your expectation. But let's be careful when we read the Bible, we read the Ten Commandments, even if we're reading in the, in the New Testament, that we don't just see rules, regulations, laws, expectations that we must live up to in order to appease God. That's, that's, reading, it, that's reading it wrong, it's missing, the, it's missing the point. And these verses we read in Galatians, these verses we read in Hebrews are, are laying out for us, following rules does not appease God. What appeased God was his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, who died on the cross for your sins, he died on the cross for my sins, he died on the cross for the sins of the world, replacing uh, the, the sacrificial system that was implemented in the Old Testament. So we want to look at Scripture and we want to see a loving God who's, who's inviting us to love Him and giving us guidelines for how do we love Him. And when we've entered into a relationship with Him, He's inviting us to love others and then giving us guidelines on what it looks like to really love other people. And so Jesus is right when He's, of course, Jesus is right. But when he answers, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second greatest thing you could do is love other people because God has loved you first. He wants us to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation declaring the goodness and the glory of him. Father, we are thankful for your word, for the instruction that it gives us. Lord, we, we, are, uh, we are a people that believe that there is meaning in life and there's meaning because you created us, you created us in your image, you have a purpose and a plan for us. Uh, and Lord, as we seek to understand what that is through the reading of your word and through fellowshipping with uh, one another and learning from each other, Lord, I pray uh, that we don't see uh, a bunch of rules and regulations in your word, but instead we see uh, we, we see how you bring us into a relationship, 
and then guide us in loving you and loving others. Lord, I pray that would be our heart, that as we, as we seek to know who you are, that we would learn um, that we, we are a special people, uh, that we are your treasured possession. Not so we can get together and just feel good about ourselves, uh, but that we might proclaim what you have done for us, what you have done in us, what you're doing through us, that we would let the world know that there is hope, that there is joy, that there is peace, uh, that there is love to be found in you and in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand your word as we read it and that we would recognize uh, that these things in the Old Testament are pointing us towards you in a relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.